0: Hi, I'm John Maxwell. When the top companies in the world are looking for trainers, speakers, and coaches, there's one name that stands above the rest, and that's Maxwell Leadership. Our certified team members have gotten proven results for companies all over the globe, and our reputation, I'm proud to say, is second to none. Some of our members have risen to the top of their profession, including the one you're going to meet today. I proudly introduce you to my friend, Bob
1: Fabian Zinka. Welcome to the Leadership and Success Podcast with your host, Coach BZ. If you need to develop into a better leader, this podcast is for you. If you want to achieve a greater level of success, this podcast is for you. His mentor, Dr. John C. Maxwell said it best, everything rises and falls on leadership we hope to inspire you today and provide you with an insight that has the potential to positively impact the trajectory of your life welcome to the leadership and success podcast
0: hi i'm john maxwell when the top companies in the world are looking for trainers right.
2: be- uh, hello everyone and thank you so much for uh, watching the uh, leadership and success podcast looks like we have a dozen of you guys watching live right now. And if you would please uh, type in the comments where you are uh, watching from, what city, what state. And also, if you have any uh, question for uh, my guest, uh, Carl Shaperson Jr., please uh, type those in the uh, comment. So uh, to get started, uh, I'm going to bring on uh, Carl. Uh, How are you doing, sir? Good morning to you. I'm doing very well. Fantastic. Doing well. Uh, If we can just get uh, started, kind of let us know about your uh, leadership journey, how you came to um, become the uh, leader you are uh, today.
0: Okay. I always start at the very beginning. I am the grandson of a Virginia tobacco sharecropper. Uh, I think it's important to understand where we came from, understand your history, to to understand where you're going. Uh, But anyway, grew up in a household. uh, Parents were loving I learned encouragement from my mother. She was kind of a listening ear in the neighborhood. Everybody came to her for advice. And then my father had great work ethic. Uh, he never missed a challenge. Uh, he was well-read, and he was just a great leader. And actually, he was actually in the Marine Corps in World War II, one, one of the most Port Marines. So I was actually born in Washington, D.C., uh, grew up in an environment where everybody looked like me. And uh, I played sports, I played football, baseball, always had a ball in my hand. Um, And uh, at the age of 14, my dad decided to move us to Spotsylvania, Virginia, which is about 60 miles south of Washington, DC. I was in the eighth grade, halfway through the eighth grade and he wanted to move us out of the city and move us into the country because he thought it would be better opportunity in, in that environment. During that time period was the same time period as the movie, Remember the Titans. So I integrated a school in the eighth grade. So I go from an environment where everybody looks like me to an environment where nobody looks like me. Not only do they not look like me, they don't want me there. Hmm. So very challenging, very trying. um, And I learned a lot of lessons there. My high school coach was the third most influential person in my life, Coach Sparks. He's the one that sent the recruiter to my high school to recruit me to play football at the Naval Academy and I didn't know what the Naval Academy was and was only 90 miles up the road, primarily because there weren't a whole lot of people that looked like me going to the Naval Academy. So I, I entered school, uh, wanted to play football, uh, never played tackle football before. I was fast, I could catch. Uh, Coach Sparks gives us a talk that I'll never forget. He said, um, you got your pass today. Uh, if you don't wanna play, turn them in, no harm, no foul. But if you come back the next day, I need you to stay until the end of the season because quitters never win and winners never quit. He said, if you quit my football team, you might quit school. You quit Mm. school and get married, quit your spouse. Have kids, you might quit your kids because once you quit the first time, it's easier to quit the next time. Mm. So I developed a mindset that I was not gonna quit. So I played my ninth grade year, didn't have fun, did not quit. Fast forward, my senior year in high school, I'm the most valuable player of the football team. That never would have happened if I had quit, right? So that was a powerful lesson for me. Coach Sparks told me when I was uh, sweeping up the, the locker room in the 10th grade, he said, what do you want to do after high school? I said, I'm not sure, coach. He said, if you apply yourself, I'll help you get a scholarship. He told me that in the 10th grade. I never thought about getting a potential scholarship or going to college. So my 11th grade year, I played on the baseball team. We win the championship. Coach Sparks is also my baseball coach and uh, he leaves. I don't know why he leaves. He leaves. Uh, I didn't find out until my 30 year high school reunion why he left. He left because the assistant coach who was black wanted to, was applying for some positions and the superintendent said no. And coach Sparks stood up and said, Mm -hmm. that's not right. So the superintendent said, you can teach. But you can't coach. So, with that, Coach Sparks left Spotsylvania, Virginia, and started coaching at St. Joe in Annapolis, Maryland. Wow. That was the connection to sending the coach to my high school. Um, so, the recruiter comes in, my, myself and two other guys. Uh, my senior year after the football season, we get called to the office. We don't know why we're getting called to the office. In walks this guy, six foot two, blue suit, <laughs> white shirt blue tie, white cover, says I'm from the Naval Academy and I wanna recruit you to play football. The other two guys walked out. So I graduated from high school in 1971. Vietnam was still going on. They said, we're not going to Vietnam. I was the only one to listen. And I listened because my dad always told me, never turn down an opportunity that you haven't been offered, always listen. So I listened came home and talked it over with him. He said, it's a pretty good education. You might wanna pursue it. Nobody else was offering me money. So I said, I'm going for it. I applied, could not get in straight in because my I was not academically uh, pre- uh, prepared to go to the Naval Academy. So they offered to send me to a preparatory school in Harlingen, Texas, the Southern tip of Texas. First time I'd ever been on a plane and I learned uh, how to study for the first time. I didn't realize to study, you have to open a book and if you don't understand it, you read it again. You don't understand Mm -hmm. it. You read it again. So anyway, so I go to the prep school, apply the next year. I get into the Naval Academy. Go to the Naval Academy, um, played football, and um, had several leadership positions at the Naval Academy. Graduated from the Naval Academy, decided to go into the Marine Corps, decided to become a pilot in the Marine Corps. Again, when I was in the Marine Corps and going through flight school, the attrition rate for pilots was – 66%. 66%. Wow. Only one out of three graduated. So the first day they tell you that. So I looked to the left. I looked to the right. <laughs> I said, y'all not going to be here, but I'm going to be here because Coach Bart said, quitters never win. Winners never quit. So I used that mindset throughout the Naval Academy as well as flight school, got my wings, did uh five and a half years in the Marine Corps, got out as a captain, did two six month Mediterranean cruises, on off ships, did a wow. three month Caribbean cruise, decided to leave, um, Marine Corps entered, uh, started working for Procter & Gamble in Albany, Georgia. And the key thing about Albany, Georgia was Procter & Gamble at the time in 1971, when they started up the plant, said they wanted to hire the same multicultural mix as the community. And at that point in time, 40% of the community was African-American. So when I got there in 81, 40% of the technicians were African-American, 20% of the managers were African-American, and 20% of the managers were women unheard of in Southwest Georgia in 1981, one of the few places Dr. King yes. couldn't crack. So what attracted me to that environment was I got an opportunity to learn from people that looked like me and people that didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. So I learned about organizational development, team building, strategic planning, how do you set a vision, how do you get results in a high performing work system. Was in that facility for five and a half years, started a three products, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, and then after seven and a half years with Procter & Gamble, I decided to work for Frito Lay in Indianapolis, Indiana, at a manu- at a food plant. I'm making chips, Santitas, Tostitos. I worked wow. in that facility for years. Procter and Gamble was a, an organization where they promoted and hired from within only. Frito was one of those where they stole people from P and G and other places, got them what they needed, and said go make it happen. But it was a very tough environment, backbiting. So I go from a, a very nurturing culture to this type of culture. And I said, this is not it. So I ended up going to work for Colgate Palmolive to Topeka, Kansas. Uh, mm-hmm. The guy that was the vice president of manufacturing that worked in Procter & Gamble as a plant manager and Frito-Lay. So he wanted to blend the two cultures. So I go there uh, and I became the plant manager of a union facility. The first time I'd ever worked in a union facility, right? But what I found was the same processes and leadership that worked in Procter and & Gamble and Frito-Lay work in a union plant. You know, we took that facility that was a traditional union facility and turned it into a high performing work system. We had wow. the best results in all of the plants in that system. Um, so I'm constantly moving west. My parents are living in Virginia. My wife's family's from Florida. I want to get back to the southeast somewhere. So I decided to work for a, a company called Dunlap-Slozinger, the vice president of manufacturing. And uh, that brought me to the area. Wow. After about six months, or seven months, it became clear that my boss and I agreed to disagree. So after about a year, we parted ways. So I'm in the right location, but I don't have a job. So then I say, okay, what am I going to do? I said, what can I do? What can I sell? I said, I can do speaking. I can do executive coaching. I could do strategic planning. Uh, so I hung out the shingle and used my network to start my business in 2000. And that's pretty much what I did. Wow. I worked for Harley Davidson, GlaxoSmithKline, uh, N- University of North Carolina, a lot of big companies, a lot of small companies. Uh, and while I was at uh, Colgate-Palmolive, I had an opportunity to do some training at the Center for Creative Leadership, which is one of the top non-academic leadership institutes in the world. Uh, and I I got certified in a program called the Looking Glass Experience, so that's where I got the skills coaching and development and things like that. And through the seven years that I worked with them, I probably I probably coached and worked with uh, 15 times 21 people, high performers. And I learned a lot about how to coach people and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I did. Um, wow. well, after uh, starting my own business, and then about 15 years ago, I started doing professional recruiting.
2: Hey, uh, Carl, so, sorry. It looks like I, I lost you. For yeah, a second. I don't know what happened, okay. I, I can, I can hear you just, uh, just uh, fine. Fine now. So you, uh, you were saying you, 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 got into recruiting as well. Yes. Yes.
0: I did professional recruiting for 15 years. Uh, and so I do that also. And the 11 years ago I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and, uh, in 1983, I had a brain tumor removed, so I've had some adversity, but it's all made me stronger.
2: Wow. This is this is really uh, f- fascinating to to hear your uh, story from the very beginning. I think it was Coach Sparkwater who, who told you, uh, "Quitters uh, don't don't win, and winners don't quit." Actually, my uh, uh, godfather used to tell me the same exact things. So I don't know who originally came up with that, but yeah, it can be quite Uh, inspiring, because I think no matter who you are and what you are doing, at some point, you are going to feel like stopping and doing something as just giving up. Right. So uh, I feel like you you really have to develop a sense of uh, passion and purpose so that you can continue to do what you are doing, even in the face of uh, adversity. Right. Because it seems to me like people who are super successful, they keep doing what they need to do, whether they feel like it or not, even when they meet obstacle. Uh, whereas the majority of people, as soon as they meet an obstacle, they, they just decide to to stop and they stop too soon. And sometimes they may be so close to having a breakthrough or really being success, successful, but then they uh, just stop uh, short of their uh, breakthrough moment. right? I think that there is a very uh, uh, popular story I used to hear about. Uh, some people who went to uh, uh, Africa, I think they, they purchased like a diamond field and uh, and, and I guess it, it, it had gold, too. But they, they kept digging and digging and digging. I think they were only like uh, one foot away right from, from the gold, but they gave up. Somebody else came and, and purchased the field for almost nothing because they, they, they tried for almost a year, couldn't find anything. And then that uh, person you know, became like a millionaire. Uh, over, over, overnight. So in in life, you 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 really have to have. have I don't know. I feel like success is maybe you know eighty percent mindset and only twenty tra- percent strategy and uh, exe- execution. The, the way you are thinking and uh, the, the way you feel your your attitude, I think, has a whole lot uh, to do. Uh, with it, so as, as as I see, you've been able to apply that when you went to the Naval uh, Academy, but but also uh, later later on in in life, anything you, you'd like to add about this uh, attitude of of winning, like never ever ever giving up and always uh, trying to find a way to achieve your 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 goals. Yeah, I, I
0: agree with you, Bob. Um, I'm a firm believer that adversity will put you in some situations and cause you to do some creative thinking that you wouldn't normally do in good times. So, um, you know, the way life is, life is like a roller coaster. You're either up or down, you know, but you got to keep it moving. And it's going to be like this. So when, you, when you're down like this in the valley, a lot of times, that's where you get the breakthroughs and the brainstorming. and You get help that you wouldn't normally ask for and things like Man. that. So I'm a firm believer that um, adversity can also create opportunity that you would normally
2: get. Wow that is that is fantastic. Well and and, 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 and then unfortunately uh, no, two more two more things that I, I would like to uh, uh, highlight when you were diagnosed with with cancer, how did you find the strength to kind of go through? the uh, treatment and uh, survive
0: yeah it was um i um i had some signs of um my body not responding night sweats and things like that and i was working out um and my belly was getting big uh and i finally actually i went to get a routine colonoscopy i went to get my first routine colonoscopy and uh Shortly after that, uh, my, the, the symptoms increased my everything increased. So anyway, I go to the doctor, uh, they run a bunch of tests and they diagnosed me with stage four non-hysticine lymphoma. So when it was diagnosed, I was, I had a big belly, skinny face, skinny legs, arms. I looked like one of the starving kids from Africa. Hmm. Um, I really had taken a toll. Uh, and I can remember the nurse who was the, um, the caregiver case manager she told me after we were diagnosed and my wife was in the hospital room with me she was crying and the nurse says uh, carl you can beat this but you have to have a positive attitude nice. so you got to have a positive attitude." so um you know one of the things i've always done and i learned this at the naval academy when they put you under stress in boot camp or naval academy whatever for me i always um i had to be focused all the time in other words um things didn't come easy to me. In other mm-hmm. words, studying academically and all sorts kind of stuff. I've always had to assess the situation, develop a plan, execute the plan, and keep it moving. So I addressed cancer kind of the same way. Who are the experts? What are the doctors telling me to do? Let me mm-hmm. get together a plan. Then I'm going to work the plan the best I can, keep my head down, and hopefully things get better. <laughs> and wow. th- there's a serenity prayer that I believe it's called. Lord, grant me the serenity mm-hmm. to accept the things I can, not change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So that is was kind of my mantra. And I had six rounds of chemo, three weeks apart, um, and uh, you know, six, uh, six months later, I was cancer free. But wow. throughout that journey, I, um, you know, I got sick and I was broke. I was broke, broke, you know, and I had to humble myself and I actually contacted the uh, president of the Naval Academy of my class. He contacted a company made of mine named Keith. Keith put together a GoFundMe program before GoFundMe was in existence. <laughs> my classmates uh, and, and friends supported me uh, financially for an entire year. Wow. You know? So that was so I get down so low. So what do you got to do? You got to ask for help yes. and uh, you know,
2: belief. Wow, that that is that is just uh, very inspirational, and also the uh, relationships that you 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 built as you are going uh, uh, full life and uh, going towards your own dreams. But I, I really like the the attitude you have because sometimes things happen to you completely unexpected out of left field. I, I guess is is how you you would say it. But you still have to remain uh, positive and find a way out of out of out of there like, yeah i i also remember there was even a, a time in, in my in my life too where even my, my my family we pretty much had to to get on food stamp because at, at the time there just wasn't wasn't any other way but uh what was important back then to me though was okay we may do this now maybe for a couple of months or six months but this is not forever right this is just where i am right now there is somewhere i am going and uh, eventually i am going to uh get there. And, and you're right, I think to be successful, you do have to be humble as well and, and know exactly where you are. And it's perfectly okay to accept help when you absolutely need it. Right? Because many of us, we like to give, 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 but don't want to uh, receive. And I think it is it is very, very important to be grateful, to be humble and to receive uh, as uh, as as well. That's that's a very uh, powerful uh, lessons there. And I think members in my uh, audience would definitely do do very well to uh, to uh, learn and just reach out when you need help, because if you are arrogant or you just feel you are too proud, then you are gonna have, you you gonna be suffering more than you actually need to, right? Uh, because part of the reason why we have so so many um, programs, even in in the U.S. government, is to help people. Now, what what I am kind of against are people who pretty much take advantage of the system, and they have figured out a way to absolutely do uh, no work, not add any value to uh, society. Very few people do that, but but uh, uh, but when you when when you do need help, yes, uh, you absolutely need need to ask for it. This is really... Uh, I have, uh, I have, yes, please. I have, I, have a, I have another story that kind of
0: tells into that. Mm-hmm. So when I was living in Indianapolis, Indiana, working for Frito-Lay, um, my wife was pregnant with a second child, right? And um, she uh, developed this disease called hyperemesis. Mm-hmm. Now, Hyperemesis is a disease where you can't keep food down. So she was difficult to keep food down. So she was fed intravenously for six months and I'm mm-hmm. traveling 40 miles up the road to Freedom lay right? So one day my wife gets a knock on the door and it's a neighbor, the neighbor knocks on the door and says, uh, I understand you have some health problems and we want to help, I want to help you. My wife says, now we're good. <laughs> the next day, the neighbor comes back with a friend, another neighbor, so it's three of them. They knock on the door again. They see my wife said, Jackie, we understand you have some health issues. We want to help. My wife says, no, we're good. And this is what they said. Don't block our blessing. Wow. Don't block our blessing. You know, so like you said, there's a lot of people that want to give. But if you don't accept, really, you're not helping that person. You know, you got to be able to receive also. And uh, not that you do stuff to get stuff. But, you know, if you help people when you're down, People will help you.
2: Yes, yes. Wow, that is that is quite a a uh, powerful, powerful uh, lesson. Yeah, now you you made me remember of, of uh, an, another critical time in 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 my life because I, I came to this country from the Congo. Uh, the, the first year of school, my mother was able to pay for my entire school year. It was like sixteen thousand uh, dollars at um, at the time. That's back in nineteen. 19- 96 you no know, that was about 2 2 million francs uh, in the country i came from that was a, a lot of money but anyway the uh, second year i, I was in, in school a civil war uh, broke out in my home country and she couldn't send any money at all so uh, that was the time where i i, I really understood the uh, you know the power of relationship of friends just you you, you humanity. People, I didn't even know who were willing to help help me because I had no money for food, no money for school, no, no money for anything. And I, I, and I and I really saw, I, I believe you no, know, the kindness of God through human beings. And most of those people, I don't even know what their names are and I will never ever be able to repay them. I definitely was not in a position to, to pay them back. Right? It's one thing for you to help some of your friends, you know, buy them dinner today and you know they, they're going to take care of you next time. But when you you help somebody who absolutely cannot pay you back and cannot give you back any Thing, but you still help them. Uh that is very uh very very uh powerful. And I think uh, the greatest lesson I've learned out of that experience was for me to pay it forward. Right? I won't be able to pay back the people who helped me, but I can help somebody else in the future who is going to need my help and who may not be able to uh, be in a position to ever pay me back too. And and I think that's that's kind of uh, you know what we should be doing as uh human human being. Wow, that that is a powerful lesson on leadership, anything else you, you would like to add count?
0: Yeah. Uh, the other thing about that also is if you look, if you go to any 12 step program, we're talking AA or any addiction, the 12 step program, the last step is to help somebody else. Wow, That's the last, you know, once you're fully recovered, Mm -hmm. then you help somebody else. And that's the last step in that process.
2: Yes, it's true. What uh, goes around comes around, and people do reap what uh, they sow. And that's another uh, reason why, even uh, when when people join new organization, some sometimes people like to prioritize or treat you know, the executives or senior management extremely well, but then they kind of you know, mistreat uh, the entry level folks or the janitors and things like that. But I really believe you have to treat everybody exactly the same, show them you know, dignity and respect because you, you just never never know, right? Some, some somebody who may be working for you today, tomorrow might become your um, boss or or whatever. So if, if you treat every, everybody right, you, you really sow that good seed around you, eventually I think it, it will come back to you uh, Multiply now. One one other thing you you mentioned that's kind of scary. You actually left a great paying job when you didn't have anything lined up. Right before you became an entrepreneur and started your own business, tell me about now because I think you have to have a, a lot of faith to undo that. In my career, I've done it one time only. I don't think I will do that again. But uh, but just tell me about kind of what what went through. For your, your mind and, and and just the the process, the, the faith you must have had to just jump and, and start something from uh nothing.
0: Yeah, I um well I assessed the situation. I said, okay, so and, and one of the things I've always done, even when I was working for other people, is I was getting some skills. And uh when I did the consulting, when I get when I did the training at the Center for Creative Leadership. I saw people that were doing similar things to me and I compared myself with what I did, what I knew, and I said, I'm as good as them, so why can't I? You know. So I had that backing behind me. Uh, and again, it was a leap of faith. Uh, and I, some people have an entrepreneurial mindset, some people don't. You know, mm-hmm. When I was in the Marine Corps, part of the reason I got out of the Marine Corps was because in the Marine Corps, I figured it was a high probability for me to have at least one boss that gave me a bad fitness support and would yes. ruin my career. And I didn't like those odds. Yes. I said, let me get out. At least if I have that going on, I can get, you know, I can do something different. You know, so part of my, I guess I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial type mindset, wanting to do my own thing, uh, and use you know, and, and use others. But um, I can remember a guy talking to me when I was at Proctor Gamble. he was a West Point grad, and he said, uh, my philosophy is to get as high as I can in the organization as fast as I can, because <laughs> I want less people telling me what to do.
2: <laughs> that's a, that's a very good philosophy there. I I, I like that uh, a lot. But but other thing I I must say, especially in America, more than any other country, it doesn't really matter where you start, right? you can start at the very bottom of uh, uh, the ladder, but eventually you can be at the very, very, very top. Right. Everything is possible in this country with hard, hard work, I, th- I think, and uh, training people, right, and being focused you know, on developing your skills. Uh, you can pretty much do anything you, you want to do. One of the biggest examples in my life is when I did join the Navy, I was a, a seaman recruit, E1. Uh, so that's the, the very bottom of the, of the ladder. Everybody I, I met pretty pretty much uh, out, outranked me back back then. But today I am a uh, commander, right? Uh, 05. So it's been quite a quite a journey. But but I really believe anything and everything is uh, possible. But I guess you need to have faith in yourself, but also faith in your fellow uh, human uh, being and kind of you know uh, working as a team to. to to really do something something great and in the process, develop personally and professionally as well. Okay, Uh, we've already spent uh, more than 30 minutes on the call. I could talk with with you for forever. I wanna get to my my, uh, seven favorite questions. So, uh, number one is uh, what is the greatest lesson you have learned? Uh, What do you think is the secret of your success? Well, this lesson
0: I learned when I, uh integrated school, when I moved from Washington, D.C. to Virginia, right, what I learned was everybody wants the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. They want to be loved. They want to be respected. And they want to be successful. I don't care what color you are. I don't care Mm -hmm. what your nationality Mm -hmm. is. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. I don't care where you came from. Everybody wants the same thing. So going through life, I understand that. So when somebody says something to me that's disrespectful or whatever, it's not my problem. They got the issue, right? So, again, if I believe that everybody wants the same thing, then I got to figure out what is it that that person's missing. Mm Kind of help them get it. If I can help them get it, I got a friend for life, a loyal friend for life that'll move heaven and earth for me, right? So once you understand that, then it's a powerful tool. I mean, you you know you know you got the power, and it's almost like. You know uh, martial arts. In martial arts, if somebody comes at you fast, you don't, you know, force with force. You use their power to leverage them. Yes. So in that situation with people, if people comes to me, uh, saying things wrong or whatever, and I speak softly and show them love, that's kind of the same thing. I'm, yes. They can't, you know, you can't argue with somebody that's loving you. You, can, you can't do that.
2: Wow, that is that is quite powerful. The uh, only I, I'd say, though, no. of course, she's interviewed everybody but even when she talked with great dignity or even to people that no no nobody absolutely knew at the end of every single interview people were just like, you No, know, did I do okay? Did you hear me? Can you validate what I what I just said? You are correct. I think that's something that everybody in the world, knows, regardless of their rank, position in life, they, they just want to know that yes, I I I have heard you. Yes, I I care. Uh about you and I will consider what you, what, what, what you just said. Uh, that's just another thing about leadership. I, I really love. Yes.
0: Yeah. There's another lesson kind of in that too. And you talked about it a little bit treating everybody equal. Mm-hmm. So I've been in situations where I've had to go in and turn around organizations, right? So the organization is backbiting all kinds of drama going on. It's just a bad place. And live all kind of stuff. Right. So what happens a lot of times, I can't be everywhere at the same time, right? mm-hmm. so I have to depend on people to give me information. Sometimes the janitor is the one that has the most information. So <laughs> if you can be friends with the janitor, yes. the janitor will share, share with you information that nobody else gets, you know? <laughs> and there's other people in the organization that are like that, you know? Mm. Um, and one of the things I've found is I go into organizations and I, you know, there's always a person, or two that people say they're always complaining and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't do this, they don't do that. I go sit with those individuals. A lot of times they are the smartest people in the organization and they're pissed off because nobody listens to them. Yes. So I go in and listen to them, <laughs> help them out. I got a spy that's helping me out. You know, me, you know, you yes. got a spy. I would somebody that's helping me out, you know. But that's you know, you you, you can't be everywhere at once, but you gotta develop trust with people
2: so that they can help you out. And they're willing to do that. Wow, that that is a very, very powerful lesson. What what would you say is the greatest leadership advice you have ever received?
0: Um one is I probably learn from the best of the best. Um if there's something I don't know, I identify somebody that's doing it. And then I either study them, talk to them or whatever. When I was at Procter & Gamble, mm-hmm. one of my goals was to meet with the best of the best. Uh, wow. So I was at a mentoring event wow. with the president of the company. I was second level manager at the time. Uh, the president had this mentoring program that he started. So I went to it. They had the presentation. Afterwards, people were mingling around Nobody was hanging around the president. And I said, I, what can I do to meet with John Pepper, who's the president? <laughs> I says, I got it. So I went up to him and I said, John, My name is Carl Sharperson. We've never spoken before, but we have something in common. He says, what is that? I said, you like to mentor young people? I like to mentor young people. He says, wow. I said, "Uh, I'd love to sit down with you sometime and discuss that. He said, oh, I love that. I said, what do I need to do to make that happen, Mr. Peppers? He says, call my administrative assistant, tell him that I want to talk to you. Two weeks later, I'm sitting in the <laughs> president of Procter Gamble's office wow. talking about leadership, and getting his advice. You get not because you ask not.
2: Wow, that is that is powerful. I I really love it. And also, really in in life, if you don't know anything, you are correct There's somebody that knows how to do what you are trying to do, and you can definitely learn from them. And the great majority of successful people I've ever reached out to, they, they really want, want to help because they want to give give back too, right? And uh, they are very much uh, approachable. But uh, yeah, it's just, I think that courage to to just ask. And and sometimes too, I, th- I think you can be mentored even if you can't see them face to face, or maybe they, they may no longer be alive, but if they have written books or they have some type of training or, or things like, like that, you, you can definitely learn uh, from, from their work too. Uh, Wow. Okay. That, that is, that is, that is great. So, uh, question number two, uh, what are you learning now? I know our leaders are learners. Yeah,
0: what I'm I'm a continuous learner. So what I'm learning now is how do I take, and it's an ongoing process. How do I take what I've learned? Okay. So I've got, I've got the ability to speak to, um, Speak to, to, to crowds and people and stuff like that. Coach individuals, max, help them maximize their potential, help organizations maximize their potential. My book is a life-changing book. I do believe it's a life-changing book. So uh, what I'm doing is saying, okay, how can I take these tools, get them in the hands of the right people, transform organizations, transform people's lives, and maximize my potential as well as help this, uh, this world be better? Cause I'm not gonna. I finally figured out that I'm not gonna be here forever, yes. okay. And I got a whole lot less years ahead of me than behind me. So what can I do to make a difference? So I'm continuously listening, listening, and learning. Wow. We got. I got two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> Word says yeah. be quick to listen, slow to speak, yes. and slow to anger. I know what I know, but I don't know what everybody else knows. <laughs> so I gotta listen.
2: Yeah, that's something my mom used used to say. So you should be. Sp- uh, speaking half as much as you listen, right? <laughs> but uh, well, this, this is great. So, um, question number three: uh, How has failure shaped your life?
0: Yeah. Um, the, again, that's um, that's the the, the 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 things that didn't go well are some some things that are pretty tough. I'll give you an example. So, most recently, most recently. So we're talking two years ago, hmm. my wife went in for back surgery. Okay. So she, she'd been having back pain for like, she probably 20 years. Right. So finally the doctor says there's a cyst between L4 and L5. So she has the operation. It's like a six month recovery. Uh, surgery goes well. She's no longer in pain. Two months into that six month recovery, she feels a lump on her breast hmm. mammogram, MRI, stage three breast cancer, two years ago. Wow. 16 rounds of chemo, double mastectomy, reconstructive surgery in the last two years. Okay? Mm. Adversity. Not for me personally, but my wife, you know. So yes. so through that, you know, we, we you know, she she currently has a, a good diagnosis and things like that. But there were some things that happened that, for example, if she had not had the back surgery, she probably would not have felt the lump
2: mm-hmm.
0: and seven months before she had a mammogram Zero on the mammogram. So in seven months, wow. she went to stage three So if you think about all the different things that occurred and how blessed me we are, you know yes. uh, So that was adversity. Uh, we approached it the same way. Let's get an assessment. What do we need to do? We're gonna do what we can do. Mm-hmm. You no, know, so that's in in so stuff can happen in a heartbeat car accident heart attack
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: so um those abilities to, to afford adversity is just a matter of, the way i look at it now is okay god what are you trying to teach me wow <laughs> what do you want me to learn out of this
2: that is that that is quite powerful i am i am uh so so glad your wife is doing so much uh, better and uh, has been able to overcome that too wow that is uh that could be really life uh, uh, changing, just know the the res- resilience we have as a human being to, to keep going through uh, adversity. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that. Uh, the question number four is, uh, who do you know that we should know? Uh, who are your mentors or thought leaders, people that you are following now? Okay.
0: some two couple of people that I think you would know is one is my daughter. <laughs> she's 31, but she's a speaker. She's a um, consultant, a coach. Uh, she also has a full-time job, but she's a very good speaker and she has kind of an old soul. In other words, she's, you know, she, she has a lot of wisdom for her age, right? That would be somebody I would suggest to you. And then I have a cousin named um, Elisa Costin Abdullah. And she is currently the deputy, uh, deputy uh, security officer at MasterCard. So she's been uh, in nice. the high cyberspace for a time. She'd be a good person to know. If you don't know, I'd be surprised. You might know her or something like that. Yeah. Um, but as far as thought leaders go uh, and people that I follow, um, the couple that I told you about, I don't know if I told you about, but there's a couple that I met when I was in Cincinnati, worked for Procter Gamble, Floyd and Jackie Dickens. Flo- Jackie, I mean, Floyd was the third African-American hired, uh, third African-American engineer hired by Procter & Gamble. And while he was uh, working at Procter & Gamble, his wife uh, wrote a thesis on his um, journey through that. And then they wrote a book called *The Black Manager in Corporate America. Oh. So I got a chance to meet them, became friends with them. Uh, they kind of helped me. I got their, their philosophy about how to raise children. So they were like mentors. Um, and then there's several people at Procter & Gamble that mentored me throughout. Uh, and I, I, one of the things I do, like I said before, is I'll identify people that I want to learn from and I'll make them my mentor. You know, they, you know, I just, you know, it's kind of the same thing. When you have a mentor, you want somebody to give you information so you mm-hmm. can be proactive and identify people that you want to learn from. And if you have your stuff together, you do what you're supposed to do. There's very few people that are not willing to help you. Wow. Miles Monroe is, is a pastor. He's one of the, He's deceased now, but he. I, I listen to his stuff, and he. I mean, he's just got such wisdom around leadership. So I listen to him a lot, Miles Monroe.
2: Yeah, I uh, I miss Doctor Miles Monroe. He, he was really really good, uh, and uh, yeah, definitely. And one thing I really love about leadership, I think you kind of mentioned that earlier. Right, Whether you learn it in the military, corporate America, or church nonprofit. It doesn't matter. What setting uh, you are in, those principles work just exactly the same. It's uh, pretty uh, uh, powerful. Wow, that is that is that, that is great. So uh, and and I know uh, leaders read quite quite a bit. What have you read that we should read, or you know, what are some of the best books you've you've read recently?
0: Okay. One is, uh, there's a book called uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with it or not. Yeah. But it, it talks about um, organizations that are good and then they become great. And he says that um, good is the enemy of great. There's a lot of organizations that are good, but when you go to that next level, it calls, you've got to be consistent. you got to be consistent in your communication. you got to be consistent in your leadership you got to be consistent in everything that you do, continuously improving. Then at some point in time, you become great. Uh, And uh, so that's a great book to read. Um, Another good book is uh, um, Good to Great in God's Eyes. It's by a guy named Chip Ingram. It's kind of the same philosophy, except it talks about uh, God and how to be good to great in God's eyes, how to think great thoughts, how to... uh, do good prayers, have good prayers. So it's kind of the same philosophy, but it's, it's more about life and how you become a, uh, a good person.
2: And that's, that's by Chip uh, Ingram, right?
0: Yes. Chip Ingram. Yeah. Fantastic. He's one of the best teachers that, that Bible teachers that I've ever,
2: I've ever uh, heard. Wow. That is, that is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing. And I'm going to be adding links to to those in the uh, comment for those who are interested in purchasing those. Uh, and, uh, so we are now at uh, question number uh six so what have you done that we should do uh, what is one action you have taken that has positively impacted your life
0: uh, one of the things that i've done is positive is that the same question
2: is uh what what, what do i suggest that you do is that a different uh place? yes uh,
1: so okay. some 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 well, some
2: things that, that you have done that uh, we should wish, wish we should do or uh, an action you've taken recently that has positively impacted your your lives that our listeners should probably think about doing too. Gotcha.
0: We alluded to it a little bit. When you get down, if you if you think you're down and you want to get up, the best thing you can do is go help somebody that's worse off. Hmm. Right? So one of the things, the most recent things that I've done that's really, really impacted my life is I did a Bible study, or I do Bible studies with homeless veterans. Wow, now, so what so so now you have a population that at some point in time they were at the top of their game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: you know, they got through boot camp, you know they, they did some great things in the military, and then all of a sudden they're homeless. okay? So when you listen to them, talk about their stories and you share with them, uh, what I have found is that it all goes back to childhood. Hmm. Something happened in childhood. I'll give you an example. One guy I was, I was talking to, he said, um, uh, he was, um, his son was getting ready to turn nine years old. And he wasn't with his son, right? Because he and his wife were separated. And he said, I'm thinking about, he'd been straight, he'd been sober for like nine months. And that was the longest he'd ever been sober. And he said, What's keeping me sober is I want to be able to see my son again. And I want to be able. To, I don't want him to end up like me. And he says, he says, when I was 11 years old, I took my first line of cocaine. Oh my goodness. He says I took my first line of cocaine when I was 12 years old. There was a 22 year old in the room, hmm. right? And he says, my son is nine. I do not want my son to have to go through anything like that. So being able, so that was one of the many stories, right? Yes. But when you listen to the stories, uh, it's either sexual abuse um uh, alcoholism, mm-hmm. uh parent, you know, it's it's really dire straits that that normally causes individuals to, you know, to, to, to be in that situation. In every situation, when you listen to the story somehow, it goes back to childhood. So um, you know, trying to help those individuals that might be in that situation or young people, you know, so that was one of the most powerful learnings that I have. Always able to listen can always learn some things.
2: Wow, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing. Uh, another question in this area is, uh, if you had one and only one day to live, what uh, would you have like your final contribution to be?
0: Wow, that's a deep one there. My final contribution. Final contribution. Um, probably have a legacy, such that mm-hmm. such that others can learn from my my life uh, and stand on my shoulders. So that's that that that's it. I would say is be able to leave something that that people can benefit from uh, that uh, that I learned.
2: That is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for your, for your time, Carl. Uh, so the very last question is uh, number seven. Uh, can we add value back to you?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what I would like for individuals to do is to, I mean, if they know someone that needs a good speaker, you know, I can find out what the audience wants and deliver that. Uh, I can do executive coaching, which means I can help individuals get better, go from mediocre to maximizing their potential. I help change cultures in organizations and that's where leadership starts. It starts at the top, you know, so you got to change the mindset. And because of all the different experiences that I had, military, athletics, uh, nonprofits, three fortune, 500 companies, entrepreneurship, you know, family. So I've been in all these different arenas and there are very few people that I can't uh, develop rapport with. Uh, There's a book called speed to trust, speed of trust by Covey. And one of the things he talks about in that book is he talks about if you're going to do a deal, uh, then uh, the most the most important thing you can do is speed up the trust. Okay, mm. speed up the trust. So how do you speed up the trust? You speed up the trust um, by, uh, it's, it's two things that will not, it's two things that will speed up the trust. Uh, it's two reasons that are the issue. In other words, if we're working together, we're beginning to work together, Bob, and We don't trust each other. It's one of two things that's the issue. Either competency, lack of competency, or lack of character. Hmm. So let's say that you want to get, you need to have a heart transplant, okay? So you're trying to find somebody to do the heart transplant, right? You come to me, you know, I'm a great person, great family man, do what I say I'm gonna do, but I don't have any skills (laughs) in heart transplant. You probably won't have me do it, right? Yes. So you go to another person, this other person, is a renowned heart surgeon, has one of the top techniques in the world, right? And you know that. But he cheats on his wife, he lies, and he steals, okay? You probably won't have him do your heart surgery because he's he's not, no character, right? So those are the two things. When you don't trust somebody, those are two things you address. Now, if you speed up the trust, two things will happen. You will reduce the time and you will reduce the cost. Mm. Warren Buffett in the book did a deal, billion dollar deal on a handshake because he understood the people, he knew the people, right? What did that do? It sped it up, didn't have to do all this due diligence and spend all this money, right? And it reduced the time.
2: So speed to trust. Wow. I love that. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for your time. You've been uh, very uh, generous. So for, for those uh, watching live on LinkedIn right now, Looks like it's a dozen of you. If you have any question for uh, Mr. Carl Sharperson, type it in the uh, comments. And uh, uh, if not, this is going to uh, conclude our podcast today. And uh, thank you so, so much for uh, coming again. And I will encourage everybody to purchase the um, book, uh, Sharp Leadership. Uh, I uh, really personally believe that leadership really is the most critical skill of the 21st century. Uh, Carl, is there anything else you would like to add?
0: And yeah, one quick thing. So the book is, is uh, one of the things it does is it opens up people's minds, right? You become very transparent because of all the different things in there that people connect to. So I can take the book and do a one-day workshop, two-day. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership. You know, so it's it's a powerful tool. I do believe it's a manual for overcoming adversity in any environment, in any stage of life. And I'm so glad to be on your podcast, my friend. You have a blessed
2: day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, until next time, this was the uh, Leadership and Success podcast. Uh, You should be able to watch the replay right away on LinkedIn. And it should be on all major podcast platform uh, within two or uh, three three hours from, from now. Thanks again.
1: Thank you for listening to the Leadership and Success Podcast with your host, Coach BZ. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our channels and come back for more wisdom nuggets on how you may develop into a better leader and achieve greater levels of success. Leadership is the most critical skill. The world will always need leaders to lead others, deploy the next disruptive technology, or execute a business strategy. You may as well decide on counting yourself among the 21st century leaders. See you right here next time on the Leadership and Success Podcast with Coach BZ.